All right. Well, good morning, Three Circle Church. It's great to be with you guys today and all of our campuses joining us online right now and uh, all over the place online. Man, it is good to be together today at this Christmas time. And we're going to continue today the tradition series. You know, we wanted to do a series where we said, hey, we get it. Everyone has their own personal traditions that they do in their homes, but there are also these things that typically most of us do. The vast majority of us do these other things. And so we wanted to show how those things do have significance. We're not just doing them for the fun of it. Like they, as believers, have great significance in our lives. So we started off talking about decor. Why do we decorate to begin with? And much like John the Baptist did with his words, we learned that we should decorate. To some extent, we should go whatever your way to do it is, we should celebrate. We should say with our decor, hey, this is special. This matters. What we believe about this baby that we're all celebrating and singing about, well, it matters to us, and we make a big deal of it. And again, John Piper, an incredible theologian, said we should go Griswold level, was his quote about how we decorate. Go all out. We have every reason to. Last week, we looked at lights. Why in the world would we put lights on everything? Well, because Jesus, the Gospel of John says, was and is the light of the world. And the light overcame the darkness. And so we got a quote from a great author last week that said, hey, let's punch holes in the darkness, the way Jesus punched a hole in the darkness of our world. And so we celebrate with lights. Well, today we're going to look at gift giving. We're going to look at the giving of gifts. Most of us at some level or another are going to give some kind of gift. When we do that, are we just buying into the commercialization of Christmas or is there significance? Can we redeem the practice of gift giving to the glory of God? And I think we can and I think we should. In fact, the Bible tells us that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God is the initiator. He gave the greatest gift. So, of course, we should reflect that in our giving of gifts. But not only him, at Christmas time, we always hear and read about and sing about these certain three guys, right? They're known famously as the wise men. So let's go to the Bible now, look at our text for today, and I think there's more here than meets the eye. Matthew 2, 1 through 2 and 9 through 11 says this. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod, the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. After listening to the king, which was King Herod, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Now, as we look at this, this is an incredible moment where they came to worship Jesus, the child. It's incredible, and we'll dive into what that is. But you know what? Every time I read this story, I don't know about you guys, one of my favorite songs is Little Drummer Boy. How many of you love Little Drummer Boy? I love Little Drummer Boy. And I, every time I read those verses about the wise men, I'm like, I just want that song to be played. In fact, I know, I know it's not in the plans, but I wish there was a way right now at every single campus we could do Little Drummer Boy. I don't know, though. Is there a way?
time at all of our campuses. Can we give everyone a hand who made that happen? And to think everybody pulled that off. It's amazing. Just kind of out of the blues. Great how we did that. Let's dive into this text we're looking at today. It's so great to celebrate who Jesus is. And the one thing I see that's amazing, by the way, about these wise men is what they did. Now we could, and, and by the way, it is a fascinating thing to study who they may have been, but that's the best we can do. The biblical text does not tell us exactly who they are. So if you want to know who they are, the Bible actually doesn't really tell you, but there is strong speculation. You can speculate in ways that have no backing, and then you can speculate in ways that you go, now that is probably true. That's probably right. And so there's great, great, strong evidence of who they probably were. These magi from the east that we know about, connected to the book of Daniel, connected to prophecy. If you, the, I don't know why God chose to give us this little uh, nugget, if you will, because probably other things happened too. The Gospel of John tells you they, we, they could have written down a lot more stuff. But here's what God said to tell everyone about. And this was one of the things he wanted you to know. And I think there's several reasons. But for one... We're, today, instead of looking at who they were, which would be fascinating, but we're not sure, let's look at what they did. The text tells us, though, what God wanted us to know in clarity, and that is, what did they do? And what they did is they worshipped Jesus. That's what they did. Christmas time is a time to worship him, and we can worship him in how we reflect through lights and decor and through our gift giving as we reflect who he is and as we look at how they worshiped, this astounding moment, the Bible says is this all happened, Mary was stunned and, and she pondered these things in her heart. What we do know about them, if they're who we think they were, they were men of incredible importance, probably rulers themselves. And yet they came to worship a baby. And if they're who we think they are, these magi, they looked for things like this. They studied prophecies and they knew about the king. So this is what, what this tells you. They knew who Jesus was. And everything they did is going to tell you that they knew who he was. They knew that this was different. They knew that this was important. And so let's dive into how they worshiped. And let's see if it will inform us at all of our campuses today and here how we should worship Jesus this Christmas and how gift giving is a part of that. Our gift we bring God is our worship and we do it in response to, we're not the initiator. We are responding to what he has done and given to us. The first thing we see from the wise men is that they worshiped Jesus strenuously. It was hard what they did. And let me tell you why. Because the Bible tells you that they came from a very long way. They came from afar. Now, that should tell you all you need to know because in the ancient world, travel was hard. You just need to understand that people did not travel a lot. It was hard to do it, and it was dangerous to do it. They didn't all jump in their minivan with their Yeti cooler full of Aquafinas. They didn't have a Circle K every five miles that you could stop, go to the potty, and get uh, you know some snacks. That's not how it worked. Travel 
was hard. It was also dangerous. They didn't have ample police force like they do today everywhere you go. You were kind of on your own for long, long distances of time, which made you vulnerable to attack, vulnerable to thieves. And if they're who we think and pretty sure they were these magi, they were wealthy. They would have had an entourage, by the way. It wasn't just three dudes showing up on horses. They probably had an entourage, possibly hundreds of people with them that showed up at Jesus' house to worship him. And so this was a big deal, and they would have been very vulnerable to attack. And then it was just hard. Riding a horse or a camel for a long way, that's hard. I don't know the last time you did that. I'm just telling you it's hard. And I'm not telling you because I did that recently. I just know, okay? I mean, go ride a bike for 10 miles and tell me how you feel the next day. So it's not easy. It's not comfortable. And by the way, being rich didn't make travel any easier back then, really, truly. You still were at the elements. And so what they did was hard. Look, I think this is a great model for us in a world where we want everything easy and I'm jumping in the boat with you. I like things to be comfortable too. I have L.L. Bean slippers because I like them. And do you know what? If I wake up in the morning and I can't find them, it just messes up my morning because I like them. And you got your little stuff too, don't you? The way you like things. We like our comfort. We microwave everything. Here's the deal, man. We typically have a bag of very organic, uh, you know, popcorn chicken in the freezer, okay? (laughs) You know, when you need a quick hit of uh, protein. So when you take that bag out, it says on there, here's what you'll see on the back. You go home and look at it today if you've got some. Y'all have some in your freezer, be honest. And, And there it is. And it says, oven, preferred method. So they're telling you, if you want this to taste good and right, here's how to do it. We prefer you do this. You put it in the oven, and it says 20 minutes, and you're going to have really good chicken. But then if you look on down, you'll see in smaller letters, almost as if the company is saying, if you are lazy, (laughs) if you have no self-control, if you're more into instant gratification rather than quality, You can microwave it. And on there it says, put it in a bowl or a plate. Stick it in your microwave. In two minutes and 30 seconds, you too can have soggy chicken nuggets. (laughs) Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I never use the oven. I always opt for soggy, less quality chicken nuggets. You want to know why? I'm a comfort guy sometimes, man. I'm hungry. I want it now. I don't want to wait 20 minutes for it. Come on, now I want it right now. Look, 25 years ago, you would have been blown away if you would have known what an iPhone or whatever technology you're using, what you could do. You'd just be like, that can't be possible. Now today, we all get mad when the spinning wheel is there for like two seconds. What, you mean I have to wait a second and a half to get all the information in the world? What are they thinking? Put another tower in my town. That's what we say because we like comfort. And yet, in a world like that, where we're consumeristic, even with church. Even the church, look, there's lots of great churches that love Jesus in the Bible, and we will pick our church based on sometimes our preferences. People leave churches over preferences. Well, I just like, it's like we're shopping. In a world like that, look, the wise men worked hard to just worship Jesus. 
It mattered to them. And why did they do it? Because they knew who he was. If it would have been some random person, random baby, they would have never done it. But they knew who he was, and that meant they would do whatever it took to get to him and worship him. It could have taken months. It may have taken years for them to make the journey and find him. That's how important it was. And yet they strenuously worship Jesus. This is an element we need to grab back. This is why sometimes, hey, when you go to the ball game, whatever town you go see your favorite team play, whether it's Tuscaloosa, whether it's Auburn, Baton Rouge, whether it is uh, uh, Athens, Georgia, wherever you go, Knoxville, you know what? It's okay to drive all the way back. I've done it. I know people that drove all the way back all night long just to be at their church. And you go, why? Well, because of who he is. Because of what it is. That's why. Because of who he is. He's worth it. So they did it. David had this to say. One time David, King David, was going to offer an offering to God. He didn't have the stuff. And this other king had the stuff he needed for the offering. And the king said, you can have it. And here's what David said to him. He said, you can have it for free. David said in 2 Samuel, no, no, but I will buy it from you for a price. And here's why. Here was his heart. I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God that cost me nothing. And you know what I think, honestly, and this is, I'm in the boat with you. I think sometimes we want to figure out a way to follow God, worship God, be the people of God without it costing us anything. And the Bible instead shows us an example of David and the wise men who said, we're glad that it cost us something because we think he's worthy of it. What a different way to look at worship this Christmas This is the gift we bring our God who's given us the greatest gift. Not only did they do it strenuously, the wise men, according to the text, worshipped Jesus joyfully. There wasn't just duty, he's worthy of this. Also, there was affection. We want to do this. They were joyful. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I know it's hard for many of you to get to church. I know at all of our campuses it was hard for you this morning Some of you do what I call the blind swat. You parents, you know what the blind swat is? It's when finally you hit that point on Sunday morning, you're heading down the road to church where you don't even know what you're swinging at anymore. You're just driving and reaching behind you and you got kids back there and you're like, be quiet, be quiet, stop it, stop it. You don't even know. All the parenting books you've read went out the door. You're just swatting at stuff back there. How many of you know what I'm talking about? The blind swat. You don't want to raise your hand, but you know. You know, your kids do too. They're going to remind you of it one day. Yep. It was hard. Get the kids up, finally get to church. Here you are. But yet the wise men, they had a hard journey too. But the Bible says when it was time, when it was time, they knew they were there, exceeding joy. They were so happy and they had every reason. Like we took all these months, maybe a year or more out of our lives. And they themselves are rich and they, had no, they could have done a million other things. And they're rulers, they're magi, they're smart. They didn't have to do this and yet they made this journey. And when they finally get there, you realize it was not just because they knew who he was. It was also because they loved who he was. They were excited about it. They were joyful. Let me, let me tell you how this works. So my, speaking of football again, recently we went to the Iron Bowl. Me and my family took them to the Iron Bowl. And let me tell you about going to collegiate ball games, whatever team you love, okay? We, we happened to be in the city of Tuscaloosa that day, and so which tells you the team I love, but I'm not going to say the name, so it doesn't make everyone mad. So we're in Tuscaloosa for the Iron Bowl, but this is true of any city you go to. Going to football games is terrible. 
It's terrible until game time. Getting there is hard. Get up early that morning. It, was, it wasn't great weather the day we went. We drive all the way up there. And, you know, with P, I mean, everyone's getting cranky and the traffic's bad. You're stopping and no one has to go to the restroom at the same time. So it's like, stop here. We stop there. We stop here. And you finally get there. And then parking is horrible, right? You finally park. And if you're the dad or the mom, you're trying to keep everything together and act like Jesus. You know what I mean? And still, still love the Lord and be a pastor and stuff. So anyway... Uh, What's funny as a pastor is when your kids get old enough to go, you know, you're a pastor, right? <laughs> it's like, don't use that again against me. <laughs> so we finally park, and then you're like, well, we got a little time, so let's go walk. And, and why would we want extra time to walk around with 400,000 people in a town made for 50? You know what I mean? But that's what we do. So you're walking like this, and there's people that have already gotten real happy about being there, and they're spilling stuff on you. And you're like, hey, I'm kind of hungry. Let's go get something. Well, the line to all, anywhere there's food is like a two-hour line to get a cold taco. And so at this point, you're like, hey, it's time for the game. So then you go, well, if we can just get to the stadium. And there it is, glorious stadium, like the Coliseum in Rome. It's awaiting, and there's lots of flags. I forget what they stand for, something about championships or whatever. And we get there to the, hmm, whoa, wait a minute. Christmas time, Christmas time. Okay, so we get to the stadium, and you think, hey, we made all this effort. They're going to treat us so well. No, you are cattle. You are cattle when you get to the stadium. They tell you, get in that line. I'm surprised they don't brand you when you walk by a little herd you into that place like you didn't just pay all that money. Then you get in there and you're like, well, I'm starving before the game. Let's go get something to eat. You think they make that easy for you? Oh, no. You're going to stand there for an hour and, a, and there's nowhere to stand. So people are walking all over you. You're like trying to stay there. And then you're going to pay 25 bucks for a cold hot dog. And we did all of that. And then we finally get to our seats. No one's happy. We all get in our seats. You're like, seats are uncomfortable. There's always some crazy person close to you that's gotten real happy about being there. That person was already there. I could hear the dude behind me. I listened to him the whole game. Bryce Young, Bryce Young. The whole time, I was like, all right, here we go. Everybody's, everybody's grumpy until the music started. Here comes Nick Saban running out, and he's already mad, and nothing's happened yet. He's mad. He runs out, and the team runs out. And the place goes crazy and the lights are going crazy. And I look over at my family. We've all been grumpy for at least two hours. And I look and they're all going. <laughs> I look to the other side. My wife, who, you know, it's been a hard morning for both of us. She was not happy just a few minutes earlier. She's going. <laughs> my daughter's got her phone out. <laughs> Selfies. <laughs> Everybody's happy. Why? Because of what it was. Like all it took to get us there in that moment was worth it. Because of what we were doing. And I would say this to you. Have joy in what we do. And getting together. And seeing it. We're going to do it every year. We're never going to stop. Why? Because 50 million lifetimes wouldn't be enough for us to say thank you to Jesus for what he's done for us. It just wouldn't be. Psalm 95.1 says, Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. A joyful noise, folks. That means that worship should involve one piece of it, at least, should be joyful noise. It says when the wise men got to Jesus, it started with exceeding joy. They're happy. They're excited. 
And our music has that. What we do has that. But, it, but, it, but by the way, real good worship to God, though, does not, our gift of worship is not just loud and exceedingly joyful. It should be, but it also becomes something else. The wise men also worshiped him reverently. So there was exceeding joy, but there was also reverence. And now they worship Jesus. Look what it says. It says, when they got to him after having their time of joy, they got on their knee. They fell. The Bible says they fell down on their knees, which means their faces hit the ground. So they come in. There's a kid standing there. Mary was stunned by all this. You can tell they've got an entourage out there. Here comes these three dudes. You know they're important. They're rulers. They're rich. And they walk in, and they, after being so excited, they get real quiet, which every worship service should have these moments. We incorporate it every time we get together. And they basically say, the only response to who that child is is what we're about to do. And they hit their faces on the ground. They got on their knees and then they put their faces in the dirt and, and bowed before him. What a moment, right? It was a moment so astounding that Mary just stood back and watched. These magi, these wise men, these rulers said, we too are rulers. We know all about it. But there's never been a ruler like this. We know, we know who you are. We know you're in this backwoods town they could have written a good country song about. We know no one knows yet. We know. We know who you are. And here's how we will respond to who you are. Reverence. Oh, we're happy. You saw how happy we are. But we're not just happy. We're astounded by who you are. Hebrews 12, 28, after giving you the theological masterpiece of how we are saved, the writer of Hebrews says this, therefore, since we've been saved, since we are believers, since we know how hard it was for God to save us, since we know all that it entailed, therefore, let us be grateful. We're thankful people. Why are we so grateful? Because we didn't earn it, buy it, or build it. Instead, we received a kingdom that, I love this about the kingdom of God, that cannot be shaken. Folks, do you understand? If you haven't been reminded of this, two years ago, the entire world was brought to its knees. Every kingdom in this world was brought to its knees by a virus. This world is shakable. But you, if you're a Christian, are a citizen of a kingdom that cannot be shaken. It will not ever end. It is not shakable. The kingdom of God. We rejoice in that at Christmas time. This king is a different kind of king, and his kingdom's a different kind of kingdom. And the Bible says here that since we've received that kingdom and it cannot be shaken, thus, so since all that's true, here's what we should do. Let us offer to God acceptable worship. That means there is a way to worship God that's unacceptable. But here's what's acceptable. Worship him with reverence and awe. And the wise men modeled that for us. You know what awe is? Awe is when you run out of songs to sing and you run out of words to say and you go, God, I've given you all my songs and all my shouting and all of my words. I've done all of that I can. All I know to do now is behold you and stand in awe. That's what the wise men did. After they did their talking and after they introduced themselves in this big thing and they come in with their procession, they get off whatever animal they came with and all those people are standing out there and they come into the house and then they say, now, now here, we don't know what else to do except this. We're in awe of who this child is. Reverence. When's the last time you stood in awe of Jesus, what he's done for you? 
When's the last time you were truly grateful for all that he has done for you? If you're a Christian today, you have every reason. I have every reason to be grateful. So they worshiped him reverently. But not only were they reverent in their worship, they also were appropriate. The wise men appropriately worshiped Jesus. Appropriate. The Bible says that when they fell to their knees, they then opened their treasures that they brought. They brought him something. They prepared. And they brought him gifts. And the gifts they brought him, so we give gifts, right? And let me tell you this. When you give someone a gift, what you give them says something about you and what you gave them. Even when you're trying hard, you can still get it wrong. There's only, I can remember the first time I realized, you know, you think your parents can't make mistakes and I had these two men in my life, and as a young man, you're like looking up to these men. I had my grandfather and my dad, and I thought they were the so I thought these are the strongest humans I know and the smartest. I thought they could do everything perfectly all the time. As a little boy, though, I remember watching the first time I ever realized my dad was human and he could make a mistake. It was on Christmas morning. My dad gave my mom two gifts. If they watch this, they're going to either laugh or give me a hard time. And I'll never forget my mom opened these. This first time my mom's sweetheart, first time I'd seen her react this way. She opened the first gift and the second gift. My dad that Christmas gave my mom a toaster and a vacuum cleaner. <laughs> and as a kid, I really didn't understand. I thought, well, whoa, those are great. And I saw her reaction, and I remember as a kid thinking, something's wrong. <laughs> now as an adult, I just think, what were you thinking, Dad? Seriously? Not appropriate. <laughs> right? Later, not now. But they brought appropriate gifts because he was a king. What we know, we could go into great detail about what they gave, but they gave frankincense, they gave gold and myrrh, and those were ancient Middle Eastern gifts for kings. And everyone in the room knew it, and they knew it. This was another way for them to say, we know who you are, and what we're about to give you is going to prove it. And us bowing down and us coming all this way, but the last thing we're going to do is give you something, and what we're giving you is telling you we know who you are. You're the king, not just a king. You are the ruler, not just a ruler. So we will give you the gifts fitting for a king. Jesus is a king. And they gave it to him, and it was appropriate. You know, God tells us what's appropriate. When we bring him gifts, look, Christmas morning's coming up. I'm not going to just go buy my, my kids what I think they should have. Because if I did that, I'd buy them a bottle of cleaning stuff and some, you know, some stuff to clean their rooms. I'd be like, here you go, Merry Christmas. Isn't this what you wanted? Is this what I wanted to give you? No, no, no. We try to find out what they want so that we can love on them that way and rejoice in them. Well, you know, a lot of people like to say, well, I want to worship God the way I want to worship him. Hmm, that's an interesting way to give a gift. What if the way we should worship God is the way he told us to worship him? And you know, when he told us how to worship him, instead of talking about style, he talked about substance. He said this, John four twenty four: God is spirit, so those who worship him, how many of you want to worship Jesus? Here's how you do it. Start here. Don't start with style. Start here. We must, the word must in the original language is very complex. It means must. <laughs> like there's no equivocation here. This is how you worship God, in spirit and in truth. 
meaning that your affections should be tied to it and your heart and your emotions and also truth. You have to worship him rightly. So don't come bringing a song that's not right about Jesus. That's why we do the work to sing theologically rich songs here. Not just that sound good or that you will all enjoy, but also songs that say who he really is. So they brought gifts. Now, the difference in how God gives gifts and we gives, give gifts is very different because we do give gifts to reflect who he is, but our gifts are unlike his. He gave us one gift for all time that, that will never have to be given again. He's the only one who can give perfect gifts. Now, we do not give perfect gifts. We have to keep giving them. That's why, like, think about your kids. Every year you get them gifts because you love them, but also they have to change because one gift doesn't do it forever. I've never given my kids a gift and they go, Dad, you never have to give us another gift. Like this Christmas, I won't give them gifts and go, Dad, you already did this last year. We don't need any more. No, because they've changed and styles changed. Fat limb proved to you. Humans don't give perfect gifts because literally every decade, the number one gifts change. Let's just take for kids. Let's start in the 50s, 1950s. What do you think the number one gifts you give a kid in the 1950s? First, Mr. Potato Head. <laughs> Secondly, Play-Doh. That was the 1950s. Then the 1960s came around and you had the old etching sketch. Shake that thing, man. Not only that, but G.I. Joe came into the American reality. But we had to keep changing. That wouldn't work forever. So the 70s rolled around and we invented the Nerf ball. Thank you for that, 70s. And the Rubik's Cube. If you've ever played with a Rubik's Cube, you know what a blessing that is. <laughs> the 1980s rolled around and we got Cabbage Patch Kids. Anybody remember that? It was a new, the new toy on the block. And then my favorite was the Transformers. Before there were movies, there were toys. Then the 90s came around and everybody fell in love with the green dudes, the Ninja Turtles. Remember those? And then the Beanie Babies. Remember Beanie Babies from the 90s? But that wouldn't work, so we, technology came in. You can see when it happened, and we started loving the Xbox. The 2000s, kids wanted an Xbox. And then a lot of kids wanted a Barbie house. But by the 2010s, technology totally took over, and still to this day, the number one thing is an iPad and AirPods. Now, the reason I show you that is to show you this. We have to keep changing our gifts because we never give a perfect one. But God gave us the perfect gift of all time when he gave us Jesus by his grace to come and save us. James 1.17 says, every good gift, we all give good gifts, but what, look what else it says. God not only gives good gifts, but perfect gifts is from above coming down from the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change we would say it like this today church god is the greatest gift giver and he has given us the greatest gift period never has there been a giver of gifts like god I love how Paul said it. In 2 Corinthians, he was talking about the gift of grace in Jesus, the gift of Jesus and who he is for us. And he comes to this line. This line is so powerful. He says, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. What he's trying to say to you is, we can't put into words how great the gift of Jesus and his grace is. And we can sing a million songs. It won't be enough. We can do Christmas year after year after year. We can do 52 Sundays and 52 church weekends a year for the next million years. And it won't be enough to say to God how great and good and mighty he is. So what do we do? We just keep doing it. We keep writing new songs. We keep singing. We keep praising him. Why? Because he's worthy of it. And we will never run out of words and songs and moments to say to him the inexpressible gift that he is for us. That's who we are. That's who he is. So we worship him. 
So we'd say today the proper response to God's gift to us is gratitude and worship. We are grateful to him for who he is and what he's done for us. We're thankful. And if you don't think gratitude matters to God, Jesus one time healed a bunch of lepers and all of them left excited to not be lepers anymore because that changed their life, but only one came back to him. And that one came back to him and said to him, thank you for what you just did. And you know what Jesus said? Where's the rest of them? That's what he said. He said, I'm glad you came. Where's the rest of them? I didn't heal just one. God loves for his children to show gratitude. It's good to be grateful. It's good to bring that gift of worship to him. And it's good for us to give one another gifts as we reflect him this Christmas. The greatest gift ever given to me and you, all of us, is Jesus who brought us salvation. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 says, this is how we got this gift. By grace. That's it. This is inexplainable what I'm about to tell you, but it says, by grace you've been saved through faith. And it's not your own doing. God chose you to give his gift to. And I don't know, we could explore that theology forever. I don't know how to figure it all out, and you don't either, and no one else does. But here's what I do know, it's true. You were chosen, you were not accidentally saved. You didn't fall into this. God didn't say, whoa, who invited him in? Who invited her in? He chose you to give his gift to. He gave you the ability to even be thankful, to repent, to even want to know him. You couldn't have done it on your own. He chose you. You didn't earn it. He didn't go, there's a special one. No, he just chose you. And it says, it's the gift of God. It's not a result of works. So none of us can boast. You know, we can't boast. We can't go, look at me. All we can do is say, look at him. Christians are not people who can say, look at us. We are people every Christmas, every Easter, every day. And we say, look at him. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for who you are. We bring you our meager gift of worship today in light of what you've done for us. Be honored and glorified in Jesus' name.